Daddy's Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Daniel. Hello and welcome to Daddy Square, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Young. I'm Alex. How was your week, Alex? How was my? It's week? always like I'm asking you. Because, you never ask me. Because, wow. Yeah, well, we're start. certainly identifying what the week was like by virtue of the way we're starting this conversation. Jan and Alex had a difficult week this week with yes. each other. Couples therapy, which we all we even, have. We even on, skipped our Friday morning. We skipped uh, our Friday morning video because otherwise there might have yeah. been Facebook and Instagram a frown Fight. upon <laughs> strangling on live video. So we decided just not to have the video. By the way, we're having a live video every Friday. <laughs> just so you <laughs> except, know. Except this past one. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, we so we, we have couples therapy on Thursday nights. You can all attend via the podcast. Actually, we wish we could do that, but yeah. our couples therapist frowns upon that also. Um, and it was a tough week because I think that when you have kids, what you're really doing to a large extent is magnifying the challenges that you had in your relationship before you had kids. You don't, it's not like it's completely different and the dynamic changes. The dynamic is the same as it was before you had kids. It's just that Everything is times a hundred all of a sudden, and so there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, talking and crying about uh, you know how present I am and how available I am both to the children and to you. And you know our couples therapist hates the fact that at the end of our sessions we generally kind of whisper one of us whispers to the other who won the session. Yeah, who won the session? Yeah, I don't I, know. I'll say that that on a um, on a debate stage perspective, you won the session in terms of deeper correctness, rightness. I think it might have been a tie. It's a tough one. We'll, I'm, we'll, trying, yeah, I'm sure I'm that our couples therapist will be happy to get on the podcast <laughs> and go. <laughs> he, he wants to kill us when we do things like that. However, th- that said, on this podcast and all in front of all of you, I do want to say that I am as committed and crazy to the man sitting opposite me with the red microphone as I have ever and will always be. And I'm committed to the blue microphone. Thank you. I'm the blue microphone. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think about like how do you describe this fight? Like how do you Oh, come on. It was a fight about the fact that I don't pull my weight enough as far as the children. I try to escape from my responsibilities, the balance of priority that I put on my work versus the time that I spend with you and the kids. I mean, this is like straight out of uh the textbook of problems that couples have in relationships, yeah. you know? And some of what you said about my kind of running away because when my patience is not what yours is with the kids was completely true. And some of it wasn't. I am trying. I don't know. I'm blacking out about this fight. <laughs> I don't know why. But can I suggest why? Why? Because I think the other part is all of our fights are ultimately the same yeah we're having kind of... we're having the same um it's not like there was something new and spectacular that happened in this fight and we're gradually over years and years and thousands of dollars of couples therapy we're we're gradually learning about each other and about the dynamic of our relationship and and i think it's 
getting better all the oh, time. Oh, it's getting so much better. Um, so it doesn't really matter so much. You know, sometimes when we go to couples therapy and we're about to arrive, you say to me, my God, we don't have anything to talk about we're tonight. Perfect. We're perfect. And I'm like, yeah, but we've got the same shit. We carry it yeah. around with us and we have to work on it. Yeah. So. Anyway, guess what our uh, subject for today? I really have no idea. I yeah. entered this with no knowledge ahead yeah, of time. It's couples therapy. Today we're going to talk about couples therapy. And we have. What? Yes. <laughs> we have uh, Ken Howard with us. He does counseling, therapy, and coaching for gay men. He's a, the founder and director of gaytherapyla.com. I think, and he thinks too, that there's a difference between uh, straight and gay relationships. Mm. It's more of the psychology of gender, which he talks about. Right. Uh, because we have two men in a relationship, the, the dynamic is different and the needs are different. Um, and uh, and he talk, we talk about it too. So uh, I can't wait to, to hear their conversation again. It's kind of a men are from Mars, men are from Uranus type of thing. From my anus. Right. And the reason why we decided to do the couples therapy episode is because we are avid believers in couples therapy. Oh my I mean, God, we, yes. we've said this on the podcast yeah, we, before. Yeah, we're rooting for every couple to have couples therapy if, if you can. The thing that it did for us, when you find the right therapist, the things that it did for us is truly amazing. We found the right one after firing <laughs> after, the one. After finding the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we came to him on the verge of a breakup. Yeah, probably. As far as I'm concerned. Probably. Or things were just before in a really bad kids. place. Yeah, before we had the kids. We had no sex, no communication, no deep connection, yeah. and we found it again. Yeah, and I attribute a lot of it to Mark himself, but I also just want to say about couples therapy. You have to attribute it to me. I do. Because I call your bullshit. On couples therapy. I mean, you guys, usually Alex like does the most of the talking in this podcast, and I just sit there, but I call bullshit when I see it, especially with somebody who I've been with for 12 years. Okay. Well, that's fascinating, but that's not what I was saying. What I was saying was that while Jan was talking about getting a good couples therapist, and it's true, it's got to be really important and difficult to, to know yeah. that you're finding one, but I will also say that so much of it is just simply committing to each other that you're going to go to couples therapy. Like the very fact that we go every week and we sit there and we talk to each other at a set period of time where the kids are not around, that means a lot all by itself. So yeah. I would actually argue that if you can't afford couples therapy because it can be expensive and you can't find a way to make it work, at the very least commit to yourselves that you're going to spend time every week talking to each other about your relationship and not saying, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. Oh, the kids are coming and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, it makes yeah, a huge the, difference. It's the ultimate time. And uh, yeah, we can blab about it for, for a long time, how much we... <laughs> but I'm sorry, it's 50 minutes and our time, are up, time is up. <laughs> I noticed that our time is up. I've noticed that you're pulling your hair out, screaming and crying, but our time is up. What else do they want to say about couples therapy? Yeah, I think that a lot of people are reluctant of going yeah. there just because prejudice and, you know, what people think about what's happening in couples therapy. Yeah. And I do think that you guys, if you feel that something is wrong in their relationship and if you feel that there's a lot of stress and tension and also if you don't have sex. Yeah. That's also, to me, it's a sign. So, um, and which can happen to a lot of uh, married couple that, you know, you just, the everyday life is uh, creating some sort of a distance between the couple. Right, 
Right. All of this is a, is definitely a reason to at least try it. Or, yeah. you know, if you are not willing to uh, commit to it, and it, it does take a commitment, and it does take to um, look into yourself and ask yourself really difficult questions. And this week's session at Couples Therapy was difficult to us. <laughs> it, created a, it created a fight. It created a, some sort of an uh, uncomfortable level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot but, of hurt. But, yeah, a yeah. lot of hurt, and um, some of it just floated a day after yep. the session. But I think that it's all, the fact that it all comes up, it's really, eventually it's a good thing, because we have, a, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but we have a certain level of commitment that we're doing this and we're solving the problems, which I think is the key to a long-lasting relationship. I certainly hope so. All right, so uh, let's get let's get to the. Um, you like what I said? I did. <laughs> let's get to the interview, but not before we hear from our sponsor. Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast, Season Three, is sponsored by Love Is Family by ORM Fertility, your gateway to fatherhood. Research begins at loveisfamily.com. All right. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Good morning. Ken, Ken yes. Howard, uh, you're a therapy and counseling professional in West Hollywood? Yes, I am a licensed clinical social worker. And you specialize in gay people. Yes, I am the founder and director of GayTherapyLA.com. What is that? What is that as an organization? What it's do you basically do? my practice, my, my private practice. I kind of go back and forth about if I have associates and how many and... Uh, I have uh, unlicensed professionals who are working toward their state licensure hours that come through under my training from time to time. And, um, but that's been my thing for 27 years now. Wow. We're here to focus mostly on uh, marriage and, and family yeah. uh, part and uh, couples therapy. And yeah. So let's dive right into it. When, when do you think a couple... Needs a couple therapy. Hold on, hold on. Oh my God. Hold on. Aren't you going to start correcting my English no, now? No, you're going to want to do it, so I'm giving you okay. the opportunity to do it now. When do you think a couple need couples therapy? I think they need it, first of all, I think they need it sooner than they think. I, I, I think that when I see a couple, you know, they finally are driven to come in because they've reached an impasse that they can't resolve themselves. But I'm always thinking that they're coming in about 30 to 60 days too late. I think they should have been getting in sooner. You know, you don't, if your kitchen's on fire, you don't wait until the living room's on fire to call the fire department. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you get help earlier. But because they tend to wait a little too long, the urgency, you know, is usually urgent by the time they come in. So, you know, they usually well, so come if in they're, hot. So if they're if they're waiting, what kind of advice would you give them in terms of uh, indicators that if you start to see X, that's the time to go. Don't wait until you start to see Y. What is X? I oh gosh, let's see. I think it's probably when you feel like you don't know what the solutions are. You know, you've kind of thought about, well, gee, what would a solution be to this problem, and then you can't think of how to get past your point of view versus your partner's point of view mm. and you just get stuck and you're kind of saying what do we do about this i don't know what to do i won't budge he won't budge now what you know mm. I, I think it's i think it's when you get to that kind of now what feeling what about no sex is that a symptom 
It can be, although, boy, that's a big one because I get that a lot. I get couples who kind of come in and say, you know, gee, what's wrong with us? We don't have as much sex as we used to have. And people forget that that's awfully normal in both straight and gay and lesbian relationships that my mentor, Michael Chernoff in New York, who is a, a gay men specialist therapist for 30 years in New York, used to say that, you know, sometimes a period of hot sex cools into a lifetime of warm sex. <laughs> and, you know, and I do work with gay male couples who do not necessarily have sex with each other, but they mm -hmm. have an open relationship where their sexual needs are met by outside partners and they may or may not have sex with each other in the primary relationship. And, you know, a lot of these couples think, oh, how weird are we that that's the case, not realizing that, you know, the guys next door and downstairs and across the street are probably doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you would be likely to give different types of advice to your gay male couple that comes and sees you than your colleagues might give to a straight couple that comes oh, and yeah. sees them? And Absolutely. what are some of the truly different paths, because I'll say that one of the things about this podcast, I mean, this is a podcast about gay dads, but nonetheless, it's also a challenge for us all the time to say, wait, are there really differences here? Or is it turns out that most of what we're talking about is the same crap that every straight couple talks about <laughs> in raising their child, right? I actually am on the, the camp that there are a lot of differences. You know, mm -hmm. I've, I've been writing my blog on gaytherapyla.com for a long time, hundreds of articles on there. And one of the most trafficked articles is the one about the difference between gay and straight relationships. And it was just based on, at that time, about 18 years of doing gay couples therapy, and I really thought about some of the differences. It's a long list, longer than we have here to go into it, but, you know, it has to do, I think, just with the the psychology of gender. You know, I always kind of say I'm a gay men specialist therapist, but, you know, I'm also kind of a men specialist, mm. too, which is, which is a really big part of that, because... You know, the whole thing, Mars, Venus, in general, men and women think differently. You know, stand-up comics love to have yeah. a field day with that. You know, they <laughs> yeah, just yeah. say, oh, women are this and men are this. And, you know, and some of it's about gender stereotypes and gender role expectations and, you know, misogyny and misandry and all this kind of battle of the sexes stuff, which we have to be careful about. But... You know, and there's toxic masculinity and subjugation of women and all these kind of social problems. I get it. But we also kind of want to say there are some general differences that we can count on that help us get a leg up on understanding things. So uh, I teach a, a course on LGBT issues for graduate social work students at USC. And one of the lessons is, you know, you can't just take a straight therapist with a straight perspective and just apply it to gay couples. You know, right. saying a couple is a couple, that starts to violate what social workers call cultural competency. Mm -hmm. You know, you really have to have a savviness about gay male couples in context, in a social context, in a historical context, the idea of you know, minority oppression. So, you know, if you have access to an LGBT affirmative therapist, it doesn't have to be a gay male for gay men, although I really do think it helps. I really do think there's a difference. I always kind of say sometimes well-intentioned straight therapists don't know what they don't know, mm -hmm. and that's the biggest problem because you can't see in your own blind spots. 
but if you were a gay man, you would know. Even things like vocabulary and dynamics. Right. Sure. But if you don't have access to, you know, an LGBT affirmative therapist or more specifically a gay male specialist, then, you know, there's a lot of material out there. You know, that's why I say. You mean material like books? You mean. Yeah. I see. Yeah. There, okay. And there's a lot of great ones. So the work of Joe Court, K-O-R-T, um, the author of. 10 Great Things Gay Men Can Do to Improve Their Lives. Um, Neil Kaminsky's book, uh, When It's Time to Leave Your Lover, was a great one. Um, you know, there's some there's some good writing out there. And I think that if you live in a rural place where, you know, a gay men specialist therapist just is not, does not exist for hundreds of miles, all these books about gay relationships on you know, Amazon or something. So let's say a couple comes to you uh, for a couple's therapy. What do you think the role of the therapist in this? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> besides wild animal tamer. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's first, I think. No, I think it's, um, it's many different roles. I think that's why it always stays exciting and, and it's always rewarding is because, you know, sometimes... You're there to, well, I think, first of all, one, to kind of referee, right. you know, to be kind of a neutral, you know, you're kind of judge, jury, and executioner with these guys. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think you're there to clarify what the issues are. I think you're there to validate each partner's feelings. Um, I think you're there to help them identify in big bold letters you know what the issues are to kind of enumerate them mm -hmm. and then I think it's about facilitating you know problem solving you know? Alex and I are going to couples therapy for years uh, like five six, six years I think yeah. we might be up on six years now and I um, always think that and uh, we're, we're cured we're cured <laughs> no we're not <laughs> we'll talk about it at home um, <laughs> One of the things that I always feel that the, that our therapist is doing is translations. Uh -huh. So I have my own opinion, and Alex has his own opinion about stuff, and his job is to let us understand each other's opinions in a way that speaks to us. And yes. then I realize that most of our problems as a couple are usually like that we don't understand each other really. Yeah. Would you agree? I think so. And I think it's clarifying. I think it's about talking and listening. You know, I was taught that there's a, a lecture, I think he's still alive, Walter Brackelman's at UCLA, who's given some great lectures on couples therapy. And, you know, he talks about the three T's uh, mm -hmm. in couples, time, talking and, and listening and touch. And, um, you know, I think it is about expressing yourself, putting words onto feelings, therapists call it. And then it's also hearing your partner. You know, there's a lot of exercises about Harville Hendricks and the couple's dialogue. That's one kind of popular contemporary one. Um, you know, it's about taking the level of communication to a higher level of sophistication mm -hmm. rather than just kind of a crude the heck with you buddy kind of attitudes and yeah. communication you know it's really about listening you know how do you feel what do you hear your partner saying even though no two gay men in a relationship can be absolutely applicable gay male couple to the next to the next to the next in general you can assume certain kinds of things you know certain kinds of dynamics like um you know, the way men are socialized in general, at least in America, really worldwide. But, 
it, you know, it is different when you, when you have two men. You know, issues of power and control, issues of competition, those are probably the big two. Support groups? How do you feel about those? Um, for couples or I guess yeah, staying with the con in the context of couples. You yeah, could I haven't really done that. I haven't really mm -hmm. done a couples group. I know some people have, and and I get it. I've done other kinds of groups, and the idea behind group is that not only are you learning from the therapist, but you're also learning from the experience of each other yeah. on a peer to peer level. Right. Oftentimes, when a couple comes to a counseling, one wants it more than the other. Mm -hmm. like one pushes it more than the other. Oh, yeah. Um, how, how do you think uh, the one who pushes more should deal with that? Well, I think you, you can it, say it. It's a, it's a good, I'm a genius of it. I think it's a brilliant question. Thank you. <laughs> brilliant and inspired. Barbara Walters would be blown away. Yes, Ken. But that, no, it's, uh, that really is true. I mean, I, I think people think that there's usually one who wants to be there more than the other one, and that really plays out very, very consistently. And I just work very hard to with the one who doesn't want to be there as much mm -hmm. about really exploring and validating his feelings. You know, because the one that wants to be there and says, oh, boy, we've got problems, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this. You know, meanwhile, the other person... Yeah, doesn't get a chance to just talk as much. And, so. and they either don't want to be there because they think they don't have problems or they don't want to be there because they don't believe that this is the manner by yeah. which the problems will be solved. Right. Either, right. either they don't know or don't really have a lot of confidence in the couples therapy process about, you know, who's this joker. But um, <laughs> or they're afraid, I think, also that um, they're going to feel something and it's not going to be validated, that their point of view is not going to get any kind of support and the therapist is just going to, you know, take the side of the other partner and they're going to be left out. And I always kind of joke, you know, no, guys, I, I beat up on you equally. Right. <laughs> right. I've been trying to work our couple's therapist to be on my side for years now, and he insists on being somewhere in the middle. It's infuriating. But it's true that, that there is competition between us. Uh, there is competition. I mean, even no, in couple's therapy, there, there is like no who's, doubt. Uh, whose side, who's going to win? Look, we always say, like, comes out, yeah. okay, you won this. Oh, yeah, session. well, we, we, we do that as a, as, a joke. as a joke to drive our therapist crazy. At the end of each session, one of us will say, all right, you know, y you won this session. And he, like, claps his forehead with his hand and says, we, that's that's not what this is about. <laughs> uh, um, uh, People think sometimes it's like, it's like a courtroom. You, know, yeah. like you have two lawyers before the judge because yeah. yes. they're used to watching, you know, court shows on TV and, and they feel like they have to make their case and then the judge will render a verdict. I like, agree. How is it not that? Because well, I, I want to kind of... Uh, I mean, there are certain things. I mean, I think if somebody's being, you know, pretty darn abusive toward a partner, you know... There's what's that saying? You know, in issues of oppression, um, neutrality sides with the oppressor. You know, there's a little bit of that if there's, you know, safety going on, or I think sometimes with invasion of privacy. I don't. You know, I, we talk about neutrality, and that's important. But um, there are some things I will come down on the side of having an opinion about, especially if it's backed up in research, mm. um, or if there's just outright myths about that you know uh, it could be anything it could be not so much today but in the past a bit you know things like oh how hiv is transmitted or something like that right if, if some, it's factual yeah and, if it's a factual yeah. mistake i will 
correct them and kind of cite my sources kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, but that's, it's rare, you know, uh, usually what I do is work toward principles of, you know, principles of how do people get along? How do people solve problems? What do we know about a problem, you know, from a medical or, or uh, psychological research standpoint? Mm-hmm. What couples who succeed in couples therapy um, and like improve their lives mm-hmm. more, more than others, what do they get in couples therapy that other ones don't, I don't have? I think it's easy, improve communication skills. They, they improve the way that they communicate so that it's not so crass, but they communicate and learn how to talk and listen in more sophisticated ways. That's one of them. The other one, I think, is that they increase their ability to creatively problem solve. Mm. They're able to identify and evaluate and implement and reevaluate mm-hmm. their options across the lifespan. You ever meet a couple and in the very first session, though you probably don't say it out loud in your mind, you say, doomed? Mm, once in a while. There was one couple, this is a funny one, where one of the partners brought a book to session and just kind of would read his book and oh. what? occasionally look up and answer a question. And I thought this... What kind of book? Just a book. I'm not sure. A oh. novel or something. Right. Oh, it's so it's like, not related to... You know, I think they came maybe twice. And right. then before the third one, one of them called and left a voicemail and said, um, we won't be coming anymore. Right. We broke up. And I was like, gosh, I wish I'd you know, predicted like a horse race or <laughs> you know, or lottery ticket. Well, I mean, I, I guess what I, I would... I would tune the question a little further and say, are there couples where it's not a matter that necessarily one of them is not uh, interested in the relationship or in the in the therapy process, but more that you look at the two of them and based on your many years of experience, you say the two, you say to yourself perhaps, I don't mm-hmm. know, the two of you are simply not compatible with each other. I know based on my experience, it ain't going to go. Likely, although you just never know because there's so much of that kind of opposites attract mm-hmm. thing. You know, once in a while, there's kind of like, gosh, what do you guys see in each other? Right. You know, it's like, um, but, uh, you know, it's hard, It's sometimes hard to predict that stuff. Right. One thing that I think has always been rewarding since I've been doing this, you know, for so long is that, you know, I'll run into a couple that I've worked with you know, 10 or 15 years ago in the grocery store or something, and we'll kind of pass each other, and they're like, I look, still together, I guess it was. (laughs) You know, which is very rewarding because I think that people gripe about, you know, the cost. I mean, therapy is expensive. It's just kind of a necessary evil that it is. and But I like to see it as an investment because – you know, the skills that you learn in couples therapy will last you long after our work together is right. done. And I think you have to see it that way because it's like a little bit like a bicycle. Once you learn good communication skills, you don't really go back to, hey, you dumb dumb. You know, it's, right. it, your, your level of sophistication of communication and problem solving are there for a lifetime. Assuming that a couple has the money, would you say true or false? Mm-hmm. You should go to couples therapy. Well, regardless of the situation they're in. You have have the money to afford couples therapy. You go to couples therapy. I don't know that you need to do it without any kind of impetus or reason at all. There's a, you know, it's all, but do you go to a doctor when you feel perfectly fine? You know, I, I think 
You might get a checkup. Well, yeah, true, true. And I, and, and I have done couples therapy, you know, and how long have you guys been together? Oh, two months. You know, and people think, oh, my God, this couple's not going to make it if they're in couples therapy after two months. But I like to look at it the other way about, but look at the, um, look at the foundation they're laying. Right. You know, if they have an assessment about their communication and, and compromise skills um, and exploring their commitment to each other, they're really laying a foundation that does kind of inoculate them against yeah. future problems. Right. Maybe it proves something about the commitment, which is like the very basic thing that you need in order to maintain a long-term relationship mm-hmm. um, and the fact that they want to be there, right? So oh. so that's actually what makes a couple go through that and, and work the problems, you think? Absolutely, because I think that what they're saying if they come to couples therapy early is that they're saying, you know, we want to do this right. Can somebody who knows a lot of gay couples, knows a lot of history, know how, who knows how, you know, kind of where the landmines are buried. Can they do an assessment? It's a little bit like somebody who's 30 years old having a, a checkup with a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, a doctor's going to say, you know, is your father still alive? Is your grandfather still alive? You know, well, no, my grandfather died of a heart attack, and my dad's fine now, but he had a heart attack last month. Okay, that doctor's going to be watching that yeah. guy's heart condition. Right, right. You know, and so there's... You know, plus the, I think there's the building blocks of a relationship. I have a lot of kind of structural stuff that I kind of teach clients in couples therapy. I call it the three C's of commitment, communication, and compromise. <laughs> you know, this is after many years of doing this, certain principles started to emerge about what do long-term happy couples tend to have in common. Um, the other one is the four levels of making your relationship work emotionally physically, including mm-hmm. sexually, domestically, meaning managing a house together, which mm-hmm. a lot of couples underestimate, particularly managing finances. And a fourth one I call managing the other, meaning coping with the stressors on a gay relationship that come from the outside in. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a homophobic relative, maybe you've got a boss who you know wants to text you at three in the morning, um, it could be noisy neighbors. It could be all kind because you know gay couples have stressors that they have to fend off that straight couples don't have, mm-hmm. and straight couples have a lot of validation. You know, we have marriage equality now, so we've got some state and federal validation. But mm-hmm. you know, before that, gay couples existed despite you know social pressure, right. not not because of it. Whereas. You know, straight couples are pretty much, oh, isn't that cute, you know, from the time that they're six. So, you know, it's yeah. it's a wonder gay couples exist sometimes with all the crap we have to put up with. Do you think uh, gay couple, gay men are sometimes more naive in, in, in everything that has to do with relationships because they end it rather c- quickly and because they, they're kind of looking for the perfect... Yeah, th- yeah, they can. I, th- I think that that's kind of, I work with guys who are single on that about, you know, what's a reasonable exclusion criteria <laughs> right. versus what's an unreasonable Look, one. Look, a, a, a four-pack is okay, a six-pack is preferred, and if they're one of those eight or 12-pack 
guys, that's where you go. I mean, that's and how many followers on Instagram? That's also it. right. right. The followers on Instagram yeah. is critical as well. Um, you know, that was a joke for our listeners. <laughs> um, if you've decided that you and the other person, if the two of you have decided, look, we're in this forever, and you both take it really seriously as a commitment, mm-hmm. then you may go through periods of time which are hell. But you may also say, yeah, but I promised, and I'm going to work through it as a result of the promise. So my question to you is, mm-hmm. how important do you think that that institution is, that concept is of staying together because we said we would, as opposed to staying together because it's working and not staying together when it's not working? How do you that's work a, that? That's a good question because I think in in part of that – there's the, the issue sometimes of, you know, when do you leave? Um, you know, when do you break the commitment and kind of say, you know what, never mind, I'm out of here. And I think, um, you know, I, I wrote a blog article on that of how to know when your gay relationship is over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was kind of sad for me to write because I was thinking about all the guys I've worked with who've, um, gone through breakups, talked about what the breakups were, how they came about, you know, when breakups happen and there's kind of an unhappy situation, you know, exactly how did that happen? It's a little mm-hmm. bit like learning when people die. It's like, what did they die of? Oh, well, it's like, well, their yeah. cancer got worse and worse and it took them out or something like that. It's, you know, because relationships do end and they do begin a, a lot of the time. Um, it's tricky. I think that nobody should really start or end a relationship without a lot of thought going into it because it's a permanent life-changing decision to make. And I think there's a value to that because I think it teaches you a certain part of resilience in life, you know, that if you make that commitment, it's kind of, and so many couples I've worked with have said this, where it's like, look, you know, we are we are in this, you know, we, we don't want to put breaking up on the table, but we are very unhappy. We are angry about this. We're right. upset about this, you know, so they want to really focus on the issues and dive in and say, OK, you know, we don't just want to leave, but, um, you know, but we do want a solution to our problem. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. What is the, according to your opinion, what is the basis for healthy communication? Because you talk about communication as a, as a foundation. So what is Well, the, I think, like I said a second ago, about putting words onto feelings. You know, okay. About all of communication, really, in every language is, you know, putting an utterance onto something in that language. You know, this is a cup. This is a saucer. You know, and... There's a feeling equivalent of that. If you say to somebody, how are you feeling today? Oh, you know, I'm uh, a little bored. Or, oh, I'm really excited. You know, it's those are words, but they express a feeling state. Right. And so sometimes in couples therapy, I think it's about what is the right feeling word for how you react to your own emotions? What what do you how would you describe what you're feeling so when you're talking about excited or happy it's kind of easy but when you talk about anger I think this is this is more problematic I mean for Alex yeah. and me it's uh, <laughs> you know it's hard for each other to um, to contain the anger of the other without defending himself or whatever so w- what's how 
how can we deal with that, for example? Well, I anger think it's, annoyance. you know, there's, boy, this gets into, you know, kind of like anger management theory kinds of okay. stuff. Um, the model that I use, you know, that anger is a negative emotion, like sadness or worry or fear, combined with the idea that a principle has been violated. You know, if you're the, the father of a teenager and, you know, she has a curfew of midnight and... You know, she comes in at, at 2.40 in the morning and you're sitting there waiting up for her. And where have you been, young lady? You're angry, you know, one, because you were worried that your poor daughter could be lying in a ditch somewhere. And number two, we had an agreement. Your curfew was midnight. It's now 2.40 yeah. a.m. Do you have an explanation for that? And when you think about deconstructing why you're angry, it's really thinking about the feelings behind it and then what principle has been violated. You know, we had a monogamy agreement and you broke that. Or I was expecting you to do something for me that you said you would do and you didn't do it and it caused problems. You know, it's looking at what principle's been violated. I've noticed in our couples therapy process that one of the most valuable things that I get out of it, maybe that we get out of it, I'm not sure, is if you get out of it, we get out oh of it. Oh, God. Is, <laughs> is, is creating time and space, right? In, in mm-hmm. our communication with each other alone, there is no time and space. I, by the way, and I'll, I'll take a lot of that on me. I am a very, very, very quick to respond. Um, what I've noticed about couples therapy is partially because of our therapist's guidance, but partially just because of the nature of what we're doing. We're sitting in a room. There is nothing else to be talking about, about except about us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are no other pressures. The phone isn't going, you know. Um, th- that it has a tendency to slow us down so that sometimes he's giving us tools to communicate. Other times we're just giving ourselves enough time to use tools that we probably already have, but oh. we generally don't use because we're in a hurry yeah. and we're pissed. You know, or at least I'm pissed because he's always wrong. So, <laughs> yeah. So I, I I have found that to be really powerful element of. I kind of say that to couples on a first session. It's kind of like, okay, guys, your relationship is better just because you're here before right. you say the first mm-hmm. word because you're setting aside, you know, a time and a place and a focus. A little bit like exercise. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like your your health starts to improve the minute you walk in the front door of the gym, regardless of whether you go on the life cycle or go to the weights or the treadmill or whatever because you're already sequestering and saying that this is a priority in terms of how I spend resources of time, energy, and money. Right. right? And so anything that we pay attention to tends to improve. You know, you focus on nothing but your diet for a week. You're going to eat healthier. You focus on nothing but exercise. You're going to have better exercise. You know, And so part of it is just allocating that time. Right. Um, I want to wo- to focus a little bit before we go uh, a little bit more about sex. Uh, okay. I know that um, a lot of our friends, couples, uh, no matter gay or straight, both e- express uh, like a, a major decline, if not non-sex at all, after a while. Uh-huh. Um, and I wanted to ask you: Do you think there's something about? I read this book called um, "Mating in Captivity." Oh yeah, Esther Perel. Yeah, yeah, it was a good book. I read Fantastic. that one too. Yeah. So, and and I was wondering maybe the the very fact of us limiting us in our minds that we have to do this only 
in a certain way makes us want to not do it in a certain way, in that certain yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. She really gets at the complexities and you know, I'm I'm currently in training even after, you know, all my years of experience. I'm still going for the the certified sex therapist credential and have been doing a lot of um, online training for that and these these weekend seminars with um, Sexual Health Alliance. And, you know, because that's a specialized area to be a sex therapist in addition okay. to being a couple. You know, there's lots and lots of couples therapists, but, you know, there's a statistic that, you know, 70% of couples therapists have no human sexuality training, mm-hmm. which is really too, that's really too little, you yeah. know, um, because sexual issues are very, very common in couples. And especially, therapy. I think, uh, with gay men, yeah. considering the fact that it's both men, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I have frequently, uh, I have a philosophy that says homosexuality, <laughs> it's a stupid philosophy, it says that homosexuality is just heterosexuality without the women. I mean, you've basically taken, you, you, you've taken an element out of the picture that has uh-huh. a tendency to slow things down, that has a tendency to keep things under control. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's, it's you're, you're, you're removing the, the, the lead plates from the uh, nuclear pile. Yeah. When you remove the women, and it uh, and and the rest is you know history. Yeah, we, yeah. we see you're, it all around. You're removing kind of the coquettishness or the hard to get. Yeah, just, you know, yeah, we're not hard to get. Yeah, we're really easy to get. <laughs> is there something that you learned so far about uh, what can a couple do to uh, keep the passion alive in marriage or relationship? Oh, but that is, yeah, I think, really one of the toughest questions. I mean, this is why you know Esther Perel is very busy lecturing. You know, because <laughs> they. There are so many, you know, different thoughts and philosophies. And I think, you know, keeping passion alive, I, there's, a, there's just so many resources about that. And I think it's kind of just responding to your own body. You know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, you do have some of the more conservative therapists that really poo-poo things like, you know, three ways and four ways and stuff like that and some of the kink play. And I kind of say just like there's a political left and right, you know, mm-hmm. with politicians and people, I think there's a left and right with therapists. And, you know, I'm kind of on the lefty edge in terms of being, you know, kink affirmative, sex affirmative, obviously gay affirmative. Not all therapists are LGBT right. affirmative. So right. I think, you know, keeping passion like, involves certain concepts like goodwill, playfulness, um, Esther Perel would kind of say, you know, mystery and allure. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there is such a thing as your sex life diminishing a little bit if there's kind of, you know, too much togetherness. Right. Um, you know, she said eroticism exists in the distance between two people. Yeah. You know, kind of like a spark. And I think that's that's true. In a gay couple, I would imagine I've, I've experienced that, that that's absolutely the case. In a gay couple with kids, you are, you are multiplying that, you know, a thousandfold because suddenly, um, you know, there is no distance. You are exposing yourself to your partner in ways that because of the pressures that come from having children, but also because of literally the physical things you are doing with these children mm-hmm. that are not sexy in any way, that are not attractive, that are not, I use the words coquettish, there ain't no coquettishness involved. Yeah. And so I, I guess, you know, what I would ask you is, are there, um, are there 
patterns that you have talked to gay parents about, things that they should do in their lives, not not so much in terms of how they interact with each other, but um, physical, you know, things, activities that they can do that mm-hmm. can recover a little bit of that sense, despite having children, of the distance that you're talking about, the mystery that you're talking about, et cetera. I think it's about roles. You know, I'm thinking of this one couple that I have who has kids, and, you know, it's a lot of stress because there's several of them. There's different and conflicting needs and, you know, just a lot of demands. But one example they gave recently was just, you know, having time to themselves where, you know, you're you're getting out of the role of employee in terms of your job and that professional identity. And then you're getting out of the role of dad, you know, and you're just being the role of partner. And, you know, kind of straight couples go through this sometimes where, a guy might think, you know, you know, I can't bang her. She's the venerable, you know, mother of my right. children. Right. She's the mom. And she's it's the like, mother. no, you gotta, you gotta think of her as, you know, the girl who won the wet T-shirt contest the night you met. Um, you know, and and kind of validate that, you know, it's okay to treat your partner like a piece of meat. Right. He may be father of the year, and you may think that this is great, but, you know, it's okay to kind of go there and treat your partner in an objectified way, you know, treat him as a sect object that you just want to bang because that's, that's really okay. It's actually kind of Alex necessary. Is okay. uh, no, okay. no, okay. Yeah, because I have a problem treating you like an object. No, uh, um, I, 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 no, I wanted to say that that may be the most refreshing thing that I have heard said on this podcast <laughs> yeah. in, since we started. No, I, I think it that is, this is, there are a lot is... of people who would be shocked by that statement. I could not agree with you more. I think that we, we really have created a, a kind of a society where that, that's, uh, uh, an unacceptable thing to imagine, except that if you don't do it, then the person's sexual appeal to you drops through the floor. Yeah, yeah I, I'm with yeah. you. I think that's the the major part of couple learns in, learns in couples therapy, because it's like a, it's a new form of love. It's not a love of a family, and not a love of a friend, mm-hmm. and not. So it's a it's a love um, and and relationship with a specific person who you have multiple roles with. Yeah. Yeah, and that gear switching is incredibly difficult. Yeah. yeah. And I think I kind of talk about the almost like chakras kind of thing about it, there's a, a an article on, on gaytherapy.com called Dating the Six Lights Theory and it's about I got it from watching a modem, you know, the status lights of a yeah. modem. If something's not right, the light will go off. And if it's on, it'll flash or be steady. And I said, I think we have kind of three lights. We have one in our head, one in our heart, and one in our crotch. Right. And, you know, when you're dating, you know, if you light up, you think that someone's interesting and you're also affectionate toward them with your heart and then you're also hot for them. You know, all three of your lights are lit up. And then if he feels the same way, all three of his are. And I think sometimes, especially with gay dads, you know, there's all the intellectual stuff about what are we teaching our children and mm-hmm. are we are we doing all the everything right and all the affection and all that. But then sometimes, you know, the crotch light can be a little dim. So, right. you know, it's our job to kind of, you know, to brighten that up sometimes, you know, to sequester times when... You know, this is not about being dad. This is about being lover. Right. I have to tell you that Neil Diamond's Turn On Your Crotch Light is one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're based in West Hollywood in Los Angeles. Yes. So um, uh, I'm going to assume that you have done therapy for a lot of very famous people. Please name them. 
Ken Howard, thegaytherapyla.com. Thank you so much for coming. Do you also Thank do um, like remote or only in your I do. I do uh, relationship coaching. You know, there's a lot of rules for all. There's just a lot like of rules. Like Period for therapy. Yeah. Um, I, I sometimes will help couples. It's different because there are differences between therapy and coaching. I'm licensed to practice therapy as such in California. When it's in other places, including, you know, I have, I have couples in other countries and we work on Skype and we just kind of, you know, there's a, a consent for services contract about the differences between coaching and therapy because it, it's got some serious legal stuff okay. we have to pay attention to. But, um, yeah, that's one way of, of helping that access thing I was talking about is yeah. if yeah. a couple... Uh, doesn't have a gay therapist anywhere, and um, but yet they still want the help. There's a lot of principles that overlap. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you so much for coming. Thank you. Coming back from the interview, I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And thank you, Ken Howard from GayTherapyLA.com. Um, you know, Alex, I really loved his definition of anger. It's a negative emotion combined by the idea that the principle was violated. I was uh, testing it on our fight. Oh, yeah, thank you. Nice. I'm so glad that our relationship can be a little <laughs> psychological experiment and for it, you. And it's, it's true because let's say that It was a negative emotion yeah. that I felt. Yeah. And I started thinking, like, what principle was violated? Yeah. And I think that the, in this specific fight, the principle that was violated is fairness. And it's also something about the equality between us in a relationship mm -hmm. and the, in the parenting, like whose job is really more important than whose. Mm -hmm. If you say that you have a, a, something urgent in, in your job, do I need to cancel everything I have? Right. So who's more important? And... It didn't feel like um, I was important in the right. relationship in that fight. So this is uh, what was bothering me. Ultimately, uh, one of the uh, again, one of the interesting things about having little kids is you learn so much about the origin of feelings that you end up having, you know, at, at our age as well. It's this concept of injustice, right? Yeah. You took my thing. How come he gets this and I don't get it? Yeah, and we, we should do a whole episode on injustice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good at this. The Injustice League. Yeah, it's so uh, fundamental to who we are to see fairness and justice as really important. But I do want to say that um, one of the things about gay relationships that is, um, that is challenging is... Any kind of kind of automatic preset um, relationship roles um, are not possible, right? In a, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I actually think it's a good thing. But in a straight relationship, you can always fall back on, but I'm the man and you're the woman. And that's yeah. the way things are set up, right? And in a gay relationship, that's not possible because you're both the same gender and you you can't, there are no stereotypes to fall back on because, uh, you know, it's all new. Yeah. That is good. I also like that we mentioned Esther Perel. Her book, Mating in Captivity, is uh, 
one of my uh, Bibles. So I really recommend to try to read it. It's all about like sex in a relationship. What can you do to still have it after a few years? Yeah, and, and because, again, I think that we've established that uh, Jan and I have kind of different perspectives on, you know, concepts of self-help and spirituality, and, et cetera, I'd actually like to also uh, throw in my support for the book. Because yeah. even though we it's both It's a psychology have, book. It's not a self-help book. It, not only is it a psychology book, but it's also not not such a... It's not like a bullshitty psychology book. It's pretty good stuff. And yeah. you, you, you read through the chapters and you find yourself saying, oh my God, yeah, that is exactly who I am or who we are. It's good. Yeah. And it's a short read. Daddy, sqr.com. Before we go... Alex, I dare yes. you to play with me a new game that I invented. Oh, great. What is this? It's called Head, Heart, and Crotch Lights. I, I'll give you... <laughs> so so he, sounds, he mentioned that... It there, sounds like the porn version of an E.T. movie, but okay, okay, go ahead. He mentioned that there are three imaginary lights when we uh, see a man. Yes. One in our head, one in our heart, one in our crotch. Yes. So I'll give you three celebrities. Yes. And you'll divide them. Who's your... Head, heart, and crotch. Okay? Um, All right. All right, I'm ready. Chris Hemsworth. Crotch. (laughs) Wait until I finish. No. Chris Hemsworth. Crotch. (laughs) Chris Evans. Crotch. (laughs) I don't think this game is working. I mean, you have to choose one for each. You can't I mean, choose all if you say If you say Dame Judi Dench, you'll get a different response. Okay, three men. Oh, I have to do a lines. different one? Yeah, different. So, so, so that's the challenge. You have... Well, three, then you have to tell me the three names ahead of time. Exactly. I, oh, That's right. what I'm trying to do. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Chris Hemsworth. Crotch. Stop it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but whenever I hear Chris Hemsworth, I have to say crotch. Something happens. <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, Jason Donovan. All right, and I have crotch, head, and heart to work with. Hemsworth is crotch. He's all crotch (laughs) all the time. Um, uh, Jason Donovan, I think most of our listeners won't know who the hell that is. Look him up. I only know of him through you. We have listeners in the UK and in Australia. I apologize. uh, It's it's fine. So uh, because of the connection through you, Jason Donovan gets heart for me. Jason. And then um, what's the other one? Evans? Yeah, Chris Chris Evans. I mean, you know, he's going to have to give me head. Oh. I mean, head. Yeah, he's going to go just by default goes to the head. I don't know whether he is like uh, a, an intellect, but he's going to do. It Was he, wait a minute, was he the guy in Captain America? Right, but other than Captain America, so let me, is he the one who can sing and dance too, that he's like a triple no, threat? Oh, no, okay. no, that's uh, Ryan Gosling. That's Ryan Gosling. Right, yeah, yeah. I would, I, he might get heart. Just Ryan in Gosling. case you're asking, yeah. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> That uh, to me, Jason Donovan is head. Yeah. Chris Evans is heart. Right. And Chris Hemsworth yeah. is crotch. Hemsworth is pretty much only useful for crotch. Hey, Chris, come on our show. <laughs> <laughs> if you like to share your story or ask us a question, please, please contact us um, at hello at daddysqr.com or uh, send us a text or call us at 213 793 Eight nine three nine, and maybe tell us who's crotch for you. <laughs>
guys, from thank you for helping us in our therapy <laughs> session. <laughs> we really appreciate that. Um, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. thinking about having kids, start your search at loveisfamily.com by ORM Fertility. For over 30 years, ORM Fertility has been at the forefront of fertility services, providing personalized care and helping all family types grow. ORM are honored to be a trusted resource for the gay community on their journey to parenthood and are now sharing all they know with you at loveisfamily.com. ORM's expert team gives gay parents-to-be all the information they need and guides them through their unique fertility journey, providing expertise, education, and support every step of the way. Over a thousand gay couples and singles from all over the world have started or grown their family with ORM's support and fertility and financial expertise. Find out more at loveisfamily.com. ORM Fertility's online resource for gay dads and LGBTQ plus family building. That is great.